Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity to be here today to praise your name. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would place your words in my mouth and that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we don't want to just sit here today and waste our time. Lord, we want to grow closer to you. And we pray that you would make this an effectual time for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is so good to see you all today. Well, you know, in our world, we depend upon signs, right? They're useful things. We put them on apps when they design apps, like so that you can identify what the thing is by that little tiny tab on your little tiny screen, you know, and, and they put them all along the road. Why do they put them along the roadside? So you know where to go. And, how, and what if you had to read everything, right? What if everything was multiple sentences long as you're passing by at 65, you know, and you're like, oh, I missed that one. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? We depend upon signs. They're totally essential for us. So if you were looking, uh, if you saw this sign, what would that tell you? Barbershop. Way to go. That's right. And what can you get at a barbershop? Shave and a haircut. Two bits. That's right. Exactly. All right. And this? Hospital. You guys are sharp. Way to go. Good work. And this one? Bathroom. All right. Well done. Now, if you... uh, you know, if, if things were going rough and, you know, you had a broken arm and you went to this place, would that be helpful? Why not? Well, they'd give you so they'd talk to you, right? And maybe you get a haircut. That's not bad, is it? Yeah, if you've got the old strap and the razor, yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, right. We need to go. You have to follow the sign to get to the right place, don't you? Right? If you follow the wrong sign to the wrong place, it doesn't do you much good you got to get to the place you want to get to by following the right sign. We teach our kids this, don't we? Right as they're growing up, we're teaching them, especially this one. That's an important one we teach the kids, right? And then, it's, you know, especially when it's like one side, right? You have to teach them, like, don't go in that one if you're the girl and don't go in that one if you're the boy, right? It's important. We raise our kids up and show them how to read the signs so that they, so that they can get what they need to get out of that service. It's just part of growing up in this world. The same thing happens in our Old Testament passage for today. It's the story of Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Naaman is a big guy, right? He's a five-star general in the army of Aram. The Arameans were from Syria, and they were always fighting with the Israelites. There was this, like, constant battle during this, this time frame where the Arameans were always invading Israel and stealing people away, and, and they were kind of fighting back and forth, skirmishing with one another. He's super successful as a general. I mean, he's, like, the big boss man, right? He's on the cover of Newsweek. He's person of the year on time. He's like on Money Magazine for investment tips from the general. You know, he's all over the place. Naaman is popular and important, but he's got one problem. What is that problem? Leprosy. That's a biggie, right? Right? He's got leprosy. Now, leprosy was the name of several skin conditions in the ancient world, but they all shared a common trait, and that was that none of them were pleasant. Right? They all were, were pretty miserable. And most times, lepers were forced to live where? Out of town, right? Why did they make them live away from everyone else? Yeah, nobody else wanted it, right? You know, talk about being a leper. I mean, they just did not want you around at that point. Now, the worst part about leprosy is that there was no known cure for it. So once you contracted the disease, 
There was no reasonable hope that anything would ever change in your life. You would always be isolated. You would always be set apart from everyone else. You would always have stones thrown at you if you got too close to people on the street. You would always be an outsider. And so here's Naaman, right top of the food chain, and he's got leprosy. And when people find out he has leprosy, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be out, right? Bye-bye Rolls-Royce. Bye-bye chauffeur. Bye-bye flashy armor. It's all gone. Everything that Naaman had worked for would be gone. He's in a hopeless situation. And in this hopeless situation, a little voice speaks up. This voice comes from a young girl who's been taken from her homeland in Israel. Who do you think took her out of Israel? Naaman, as a slave, right? Took her as a spoil of war. Where do you think her family is? Israel or? Yeah. There are maybe some of them got sold into other in slavery somewhere else, but this girl is isolated, alone, a captive, forced slave to the man who stole her from her family. She's a girl who ought to be filled up with anger, with judgment, with wrath, with vindictiveness, but instead she offers hope to her master. She says to him, I know where you can find hope, Naaman. And Naaman's got nothing else going for him. No other options at this point. So he grasps on to this opinion of this little girl. And he gets a letter of recommendation from his boss, the king of Aram. And he takes off to Israel with 600 pounds of silver, 130 pounds of gold coins, and 10 sets of clothes from the finest haberdashers in Aram. He forgets departures in the pear tree, but otherwise he's got everything else that a person could need on a trip. Now with this letter and this money, he shows up at what would seem to be the most important place in Israel, the palace of the king. The king of Israel receives Naaman, and he reads the letter from the king of Aram, which says, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And what does the king of Israel do? Tears his clothes. Why? He doesn't what? He doesn't want to get leprosy. And why else? He can't help him. He's like, what? Cure this guy? Who does he think I am? God? He does really say that, right? You know? Who does he think I am? I can't cure this. I don't even know anybody who can. Nobody cures leprosy. It's terminal. And so he tears his clothes because he thinks that king of Aaron must be playing a joke on me. He must be trying to trick me. He must be trying to bait me so that he can come and attack us again. Because he's been wiping the floor with us, like militarily for the last few years. Like he must be just taunting us at this point. He can't understand why they would expect something like that to happen in Israel, like a healing like that to happen. And so he tears his clothes and completely freaks out. Freaks out. He updates his Facebook page. He says, you know, LOL, King of Aaron sent me a letter saying, heal this guy. How am I supposed to do that? Right? But at this point, a text message comes from Elisha, and he tells the king of Israel to send Naaman his way. He says, send him to me, that he might know 
that there is a prophet of the Lord in Israel. Now, Elijah is a prophet of the Lord, and he is totally awesome. Read 2 Kings. The stories are incredible. Uh, And Naaman comes with his entourage to Elisha's house. And Elisha, instead of coming out to meet him, sends his servant out to Naaman. He sends his messenger out, and he says, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. And what does Naaman do? He gets mad. Why is he mad? That's right. I'm Naaman. You saw me on the cover of many famous magazines. Why are you not meeting me in person and groveling before me and giving me my healing the way I expect it to happen? I am important, gosh darn it, and you will treat me as important. Also, he says, look, Back in Aram, we've got the Yuba River and the American River, right? And they're way better than this stinky Jordan River. Why couldn't I just do that back in Nevada County? Why'd well, I have to come all this way to bathe seven times in the stinky, nasty Jordan River? Naaman thought he knew what the healing would be like, and this did not fit his model. But once again, a servant saves Naaman's life. The servants, his servants tell him, look, you would have done all kinds of complicated things to be healed. Why not do this simple thing? Maybe, just maybe, the healing is in this simple act. And so our passage ends, uh, so Naaman goes and bathes seven times, right? And our passage ends with the statement, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. What a great end that is. But do you think it's really the end of the story? No. And I'm upset about this. I'm really upset. Because it should not end on that with with verse 14. That's ridiculous. Because it goes on for several more verses. But if they just added one more verse to the lectionary reading, it would have totally made me happy. Right? Because the very next verse says, Naaman comes back to the prophet, and he says to the prophet Elisha, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. What does this show? He believes. That's right. The other stuff, that was just external. Right? That was just like a skin transplant. Well, that's impressive. But like, I mean, but the heart? Who can cure the heart? Can any surgeon... No, there's nothing else. Nothing can, can, can cure a broken soul. And that's what Naaman received that day. He not only got his flesh healed, but his heart too. He is brought to faith in God, which shows that his healing is complete. That's how healing with God is supposed to work. It's not the, the physical healing in isolation. The healing is always supposed to be combined and lead to faith. And so for Naaman, not only is his flesh made new, but so is his heart. That little girl in Syria brings the head of the Aramean army to faith in God, all because she pointed him in the right direction. Our business as Christians is to be people who point others in the right direction. 
We're supposed to be like these signs, pointing people to the things that they need, pointing them to the place where they can receive help, where they can receive life, where they can receive hope, where they can receive healing. That is what our Christian life is supposed to be about. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we looking in the right place? Are we looking to God for our meaning, for our purpose, for our direction, for our healing, for our growth, for our joy, for our peace? Because you know what? There's all kinds of phony places you can look for those things in, aren't there? Anybody ever seen somebody offering something fake? On TV, maybe? Going to pull out in your Saturday newspaper? Right? There's all kinds of things that try to offer you that. That try to give you this kind of cure for it. This placebo. But in reality, nothing lines up. Nothing measures up to what God wants to offer us in Jesus Christ. And so for us, there is one sign we need to look to. You might see one of these in the church. It's the cross. That is the sign that we are all designed to look towards. The new flesh that Naaman experienced points to the cross of Christ because it speaks of the resurrection that Jesus Christ offers us through faith in him. Naaman got new flesh and new heart, and that is what Jesus Christ wants to offer us. In him, we can have the promise of that new flesh in the resurrection, and we can have the reality of new hearts today. May we come to the cross today as lepers, people with broken hearts, with broken minds, with broken lives, with pain. May we come to the cross and be healed that we might point others to Jesus Christ so that they can be healed as well. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you have given us a sign, Lord, that you have given us a sign to follow. And we pray that we would turn to you in faith, that you would heal us, Lord, that you would set us free from the bondage of this world, that we would be able to worship you with joy in our hearts, with happiness, Lord, with peace, being reconciled to you through the gift of your sacrifice. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to confess our sins and help us to receive your forgiveness. And then, Lord, send us out into this world and enable us to lead others to you as well, that they might know your saving hope. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.